Even the President of the United States had no authority over us. Warren Jeffs is our president. He was the prophet. And how could you place a human over God? Known as FLDS. It's a far offshoot of the Mormon Church and supports the practice of polygamy. The more wives, the more children you have, the higher in heaven you'll be. When you're taught something from birth, from your mother and your father, you believe them because they're your parents. It was for our salvation. You did whatever it took, even if it was wrong. One day, my name was brought up and I was to be married. I was 14. Lord Jeffs took over this religion and turned it into money and power and sex. Young girls were like a commodity owned by the church. Warren had himself 78 wives. 24 of those wives were underage. We're going to go after the criminals, and we're going to go after the child abusers. To stand up against a multi-million dollar church, you're going up against a lifetime of conditioning and fear. He took their families away, took their homes away. Might as well have just lined them up against the wall and shot them. You don't fight the priesthood. You don't fight the prophet. But it was so much bigger than just Warren and me. It happens to everybody eventually. You will come around and see the light. We love you. I love all of you. And go, what the f***? Sweet spirit of prayer. All right. How are you guys doing? Um, We are going to be covering something a little bit different in today's episode. I watched the show Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey on Netflix and I just got really interested in it and decided to make an episode covering the FLDS and this self-appointed prophet Warren Jeffs. So it's going to be kind of a review of that show and a little bit more information on what I found about the FLDS. So I feel like this is a good example to show people how these cults are real. Pedophilia, child sex trafficking, it's all real and uh, it's a very dark story. And I feel like a lot of people get themselves involved in organizations like this because they just want to feel special or that they're chosen for something. And really at the end of the day, it's just insecure people who need a pat on the back. Like you're special. You're the chosen one. You're you're better than, yeah, it's, it's all mind control. And that's what we're going to be covering today. And this self-appointed prophet, 
Warren Jeffs, who is just this poindexter of a guy. And um, I've posted a lot of pictures and a video on Instagram for you to check out so you can get a better understanding of what this looks like. So, of course, go check out the Instagram, cosmic.peach.podcast. And we're going to just jump right into it. Of course, let me know what you think. Leave five-star view if you love what I do. I have the whole month of October already planned out for you guys. September for me is just kind of like one of those filler months to prepare for October. (laughs) So you guys are going to absolutely love the Halloween episodes I have coming up for you. But let me know what you think. Let's dive right in. I felt like this is everything that we were told was bad. Why why is a man doing this, let alone the prophet of God doing this to me? All right. So I recently watched a documentary on Netflix called Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. And this may be old news for some of you, but I had never watched it. And of course, I like to dive into everything. And um, I go a little bit past what just the show is saying because it's Netflix and they can't really give all the gory details. But it got me down a rabbit hole on this whole FLDS religion, this latter-day fundamentalist, whatever they call themselves. And what I want to do for you today is kind of break it down and talk about what went on in the FLDS and why it could be linked to Satanism and why it probably is some offshoot of Satanism. Now, we're going to start from the beginning, and I'll carry you through all the way till the end. And I'll, of course, interject some little comments and stuff along the way that just absolutely get overlooked in the Netflix documentary. But here we go. So first, I want to talk about what the Mormons are. Who the Mormons are. And so basically Mormons consider themselves Christians, but many Christians don't recognize Mormons as an official denomination. And that in itself says something. So Mormons believe in the crucifixion, resurrection, and divinity of Jesus Christ. But the followers claim that God sent more prophets after Jesus' death. And they say that the origin of the church has been restored in modern times. And Mormons embrace four different texts. The Christian Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants of the Pearl of the Great Price. See, they lost me there. What? And according to the LDS church, Adam and Eve lived in Missouri after being driven from the Garden of Eden. And there are three levels to heaven for them. There's the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. I don't know what the difference is between the terrestrial and the telestial, but I'll just leave that up to them to figure out because, damn, that don't make no sense. Um, and only those in the celestial kingdom will live in God's presence. So followers don't recognize the Christian concept of the Trinity, which is God existing in three forms instead of, you know, 
God, the Son, and the Holy Ghost as one part of God, they consider them separate entities. So they believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate gods. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints considers Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism, a prophet. And Mormons follow a strict, healthy lifestyle that doesn't allow them to obviously consume alcohol, tobacco, coffee, tea, none of that. Brush their teeth. You get what I'm talking about if you saw the documentary. Uh, Family life, good deeds, respect for authority, ew, and missionary work are important values in Mormonism. And Mormons practice clothing rituals that include wearing special undergarments that have religious significance known as the temple garment, and the attire is worn by adult members who make sacred promises to God. So, not all Mormon churches accept the label Mormon, quote-unquote, because the term has at times been used in a derogatory manner. Well, you brought it on yourself, and it does not allow for the variety of beliefs that exist among churches that follow the Book of Mormon and the teachings of Joseph Smith. Now, this is not an assault on anyone's religion if you are Mormon, but I just got done watching Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey, and I'm on one right now, so don't think I'm not going to bring the sass on this one. You know, if you want to be a Mormon, whatever floats your boat, okay? But it's not, it didn't do anything to my boat. So here we are. Who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith Jr. was born in Vermont on December 23rd, 1805. When Smith was 14, he said he received a vision from God and Jesus told him not to join any Christian denominational churches. Three years later, Smith claimed that an angel named Moroni appeared to him. Maroney revealed that Smith had been selected to translate the Book of Mormon, a sacred text that was written around the 4th century and named after Maroney's father, Mormon. According to Maroney, this spiritual book contained information about the ancient people who inhabited the Americas. He revealed that the book was inscribed on golden plates in New York, which was close to where Smith lived at the time. Although the plates were first revealed to him on September 22nd, 1823, Smith said he was not allowed to retrieve them until September 1827. (laughs) And then the Book of Mormon was translated and published in 1830. So he didn't need time to write these up or anything that would that he just wasn't allowed to okay and smith also asserted that john the baptist appeared to him while he was translating the book of mormon and instructed him to restore the church by preaching the true gospel and then joseph smith was murdered yeah after the book of mormon was published mormonism began to spread and grow rapidly and smith set up mormon communities in missouri ohio and illinois And he was criticized and persecuted by many people for his teachings and his new ideas. And in February 1844, Smith and his brother were jailed on charges of treason. 
On June 27, 1844, both Smith and his brother were murdered in jail by an anti-Mormon mob in Carthage, Illinois. Damn, Maroney, that would have been a good time to show up. Guess not, though. So after Smith died, the church divided. Many Mormons followed this dude by the name of Brigham Young, who became Smith's successor. And Young led a large group of persecuted Mormons from Illinois to search for religious freedom. And in 1847, Young and the other pioneers reached Utah's Salt Lake Valley. And during the 1850s, Young organized the migration of about 16,000 Mormons and became the first governor of Utah Territory. Young was named the president of the church and kept this title until his death in 1877. Scholars believe Young significantly influenced the religious and political landscape of the American West. And despite moving to a relatively isolated region in Utah, tensions between Mormons and other Americans continued. In September of 1857, a Mormon militia murdered about 120 people who were part of a wagon train from Arkansas. And this event became known as the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And the exact motive for the massacre is still debated today, and some records show that Mormon leaders attempted to actually cover up the attack. But scholars are unsure who was directly responsible for the violence. Some have blamed Brigham Young, while others say that local leaders in the southern Utah area were at fault. But Basically, Mormons believe that the Book of Mormon confirms information found in the Holy Bible, and the text gives an account of ancient prophets who lived in the Americas, and it covers events that occurred from about 2500 BC to 400 AD. According to the book, some Jews came to America to avoid persecution in Jerusalem, and they divided into two groups who fought each other. And they were called the Nephites and the Lamanites. Probably not saying that right. Who cares? But in 428 AD, the Nephrites were defeated. And the text says that the Lamanites were the same group that's known as the American Indians. Interesting. And according to the Book of Mormon, Jesus Christ appeared and preached to the Nephrites in the Americas after his crucifixion. And the book is divided into smaller books that are read as narratives. And the LDS Church states that more than 150 million copies of the Book of Mormon have been distributed as of 2011. And today, the LDS Church is headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it's run by a prophet who also serves as the president and I looked up a little bit about what are the workings of the church. And it says children in the church are typically baptized at eight years of age. A young man, 12 years of age or older, can enter into a priesthood known as the Aaronic Priesthood. And those over 18 can enter into the Melchizedek Priesthood. The, see, these names. Come on, you guys. So... 
what's the deal you've all been waiting for it with the polygamy? Well, although the LDS church banned the practice of polygamy in 1890, Mormons have historically had many wives. And in recent years, the church acknowledged that Joseph Smith wed as many as 40 wives and some as young as age 14, probably younger, let's be honest. And today, Mormons, they say, frown upon polygamy and choose to marry just one spouse. Still, a small number of fundamentalists who broke from the church continue to practice plural marriage. So, in recent years, Mormonism has crept its way into popular American culture. And Mormon presidential candidate Mitt Romney brought the religion to the forefront of American politics in 2012. So that's just a little background on what we're going to be talking about today. And before I get into the FLDS, which is Fundamentalists of the Church of Latter-day Saints... What I want to say here is this entity that appeared to Joseph Smith was most likely, um, as some would call it, um, a demon. So that's my opinion. Obviously, I'm not here to offend anyone, but it would just appear to me the most obvious conclusion I can draw from that story is that a demon appeared to him. And also, he possibly could have just made the whole thing up. You know, his wife just wasn't doing it for him anymore, so he wanted to get him another 14-year-old. Um, so basically what I'm going to talk about is the beginnings of the FLDS and what it led to. So here goes. In the beginning of Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, it describes what the FLDS was like before Warren Jeffs took over. And so it's talking about life prior to Warren Jeffs. and Many described it as like happy times, and at that point, it was just called the Fundamentalists, not FLDS. And one member stated that according to his understanding of the gospel, plural wives was the whole picture that Christ was after. Now, I just have to roll my eyes at that because it's like, come on, man, like, all he ever, all Jesus ever said was monogamy, monogamy, monogamy. And before Jesus, there was actually a big problem with like harems of child brides. And Jesus was the one who pretty much abolished that frame of mind. And even in the show, it goes as far as the members stating like we knew polygamy was wrong. It was against the law, but we kept doing it anyways because that was our faith. And they ended up signing fake names, the fathers did, on most of their children's birth certificates. So if his name was, for example, Lloyd Smith, well, when he went with his second wife to the hospital to have their babies, he would sign the birth certificate as like Ralph Watson. Like it just was totally like fucking made up names. And um, obviously polygamy is not a protected constitutional right. And plural marriage is illegal. But the thing about it is like it's almost never prosecuted. And according to some other research I did, mainstream Mormon followers see polygamy as an embarrassment. So at least that made me feel a little bit better, although they still believe the whole Joseph Smith thing. And um, basically what these people are taught as children 
is that in order to obtain the highest level of life in the celestial kingdom, that they would need to have at least three wives. But it never talks about what happens to the wife. How does she reach the highest level of the celestial kingdom? Like, it's just a gray area. So, in the FLDS, you have the prophet. And the prophet is supposed to be a representation of God on earth. And in Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, we are introduced to a slew of characters, including the prophet before Warren Jeffs, which was his father, Rulin Jeffs. And basically, these people were told that the prophet would never grow old or die, and that he would be renewed and become young again. See, you would have lost me right there. I've walked away from conversations for less than that. But let's continue. So, it's also propagated that the prophet knows everything each individual person did. He knew every thought you had and he knew each person's dreams and wishes and desires. And the prophet is also the one who makes all of the arranged marriages. And it's what's called the quote unquote placement principle. You didn't like date or court and decide like, oh, I like her, I'm going to marry her. And, you know, you don't get to choose who you marry. Only the prophet could choose for you who you were supposed to marry. And it's a big deal in their culture that when a girl is ready to be married, their parents would, quote unquote, turn her in to the prophet and say whatever was God's will, pretty much. So as they're describing this, we meet a girl named Rebecca and her father turned her into the prophet Ruland Jeffs when she was 19 and she knew because it had become known that there was like this specific handshake he would give to girls that would later become his wife. And the night Rebecca met with the prophet, Ruland Jeffs, he squeezed her hand three times and that meant she was supposed to marry him. Mm -hmm. Now, Roland Jeffs is prehistoric looking at this point. He looks like a bag of saggy grapes and he's got this 19-year-old in front of him and He's like, ooh, I feel like a young man again looking at you, honey. And he squeezes her hand three times and he's like, you're going to be mine tonight. And that's exactly what happened. So Rebecca's dad was just over the moon. He was so excited because for any man in the FLDS to have their daughter marry into the prophet's family was like a massive honor. And Rebecca said, that she was really happy like for her family because she realized what an honor this was but in the back of her mind she was like ew what this guy looks like a can of sardines are you serious Roland Jeffs was 85 when she married him and then 
Rulin Jeff goes on to marry another young girl named Alicia, who was pretty much right out of high school. She was like 20, and he was 86 and already had 23 wives. And he was wearing a damn oxygen mask at the ceremony and had his fucking hearing aids in. So he also did not let any of the girls work and they didn't have access to go to school. Their sole purpose was just to be with Rulin Jeffs and pray and to be obedient and be adoring of him at all times. And it, it showed like in the dining room in Rulin's house was pictures in chronological order of all the ladies he married from like the oldest to the youngest and Rebecca said that every night there was a line of wives outside of Rulin Jeff's room and they would line up to say good night and give him a little kissy wissy and so Rebecca's describing this and it kind of like flashes over and Alicia's saying the same thing like when it was her turn to say goodnight, she goes into the room and she thinks she's just giving him a little smooch. And he says, hey, I uh, I want you to stay with me tonight and we're going to do a little lovemaking. And she didn't even know what that shit meant. Even Rebecca said the same exact thing. She did not know how babies were conceived and neither Alicia or Rebecca expected Rulin Jeff's to ever even touch them in any way, shape, or form. And they were, like, absolutely horrified when it came time to be physical. So they thought you just kiss someone and get pregnant. They they they're, they were, like, dummies about, and, like, and I hate to say that, they were ignorant. They, they were never taught about this kind of stuff. The first interaction they had sexually was with an 86-year-old man with an oxygen tube um, and probably, like, a half chub. So Rebecca was so disgusted that she would do things like rub his feet and give him a massage because she knew she did that at night. He would just fall asleep and pass out and she would not have to endure this sexual encounter. And she kept that up for quite a while until she just couldn't anymore. And he was like, no, you've given me some tonight, sister. So Rebecca said, that he would just roll on top of her and say, spread your legs. And she said it felt like everything that she was told was bad. Like, she said she just had, the, like, this is wrong. I feel violated. Like, it was obviously traumatizing. And she wasn't even underage. She was 19, 20 at that time. And um, Alicia recounted one time after her sexual encounter with Rulin and she said he had passed out asleep and then just woke up in the middle of the night and started elbowing her and was like I have to go to the bathroom and he couldn't walk so she was trying to walk his old ass to the bathroom and he urinated all over himself at the age 86 she stepped on his oxygen tube pulled the oxygen off of his face and he got all mad at her and like i can't even imagine what these girls went through like that's just flabbergasting so both of those girls alicia and rebecca said that their greatest hope was to pass by another night without having being touched by him and what was Rulin Jeff's motto 
it was keep sweet, which to me sounds pedophilic in more than one way. Like keep sweet, be innocent, stay pure, be a little girl. And I just have all these thoughts that come into my head when I hear that, like keep sweet. I'll tell you the sweetest thing I would have had for him is um, antifreeze on some bologna, maybe a little mustard mayo so he couldn't taste it. And uh, bon appetit, Mwah! chef's kiss, fuck you, buddy, and your fucking disgusting flaccid penis. So they go on to say in the show how Rulin Jeffs was never the problem, that he was, I guess, what they would consider a really good guy for their standards, obviously. But it was his son, Warren Jeffs, that was an absolute plague upon this earth. And Warren Jeffs, was one of Rulin Jeff's 62 children. And let me just describe for you what this man looks like. This little pipsqueak has a pinched face. He's skinny and worthless. And it he looks like I could flick him with my pinky and he would just float like a feather through the air. I mean, there's no substance to this man whatsoever. He's got beady little eyes, crooked teeth. His grill is fucked, okay? Nothing to look at. He is literally the king of pibsqueaks. And he obviously is on a power trip because he knows he's worthless and so he feels like he's got to prove himself to everyone. And um, he clearly gave me that vibe that no one had ever stood up to him in his life. And I just wonder what that's like being in prison. I hope he's getting every little joy you can receive in prison. If you know what I'm saying. So, Mother Maryland as she was called, was Warren's mother, and she was a sneaky, conniving, manipulative bitch, too. And she wanted her sons to be closest to their father, Rulin Jeffs, and to make them the next leaders of the church after Rulin passed away. Which is funny because they're not supposed to be preparing for that. They're supposed to think Rulin's going to live forever like a vampire. But so... Mother Marilyn felt that Warren was special because when Warren was born, he was eight weeks premature and Mother Marilyn would always tell the story of how Warren was so close to death at birth that the previous prophets came to her and revealed to her that he would survive and that Warren would be a very special person. See, this is what happens when people believe in delusions and they get involved in like devil worship, whether they realize that's what it is or not. So Rulin Jeffs also believes this about his son, Warren. And I, I, the way that he talks, like he must have learned this from some, this is like an MK Ultra program or something. The way that Warren Jeff talks and the manner of the words that he uses. And it's like putting you in a trance-like state. It was definitely mind control and hypnotism. I think they probably went to some kind of freaky deaky school where you learn this stuff from. And it's actually said that no one ever really liked him that much and that he was just the awkward son of a man who had power 
And one of Warren Jeff's brothers said he first knew that Warren Jeffs was a psychopath when he realized he was getting a little too cozy with some of his own sisters. So a couple of the other brothers also found this out. And then they went to their dad, Ruling Jeffs, and his response was just to drop it and don't talk about it and just forget about it. We're talking about him having sexual encounters with his blood biological sisters, whether they be a half or a whole. When you get to 65, I think you start blurring the line there. You forget which one of them is actually your full sister or not, but it doesn't matter. You have the same dad. Like, this is incestuous. One of their favorite things to do. So let's proceed. The Jeffs family also operated something called the Alta Academy in Salt Lake in Utah. Its sole purpose was to educate a large number of the FLDS people in the FLDS way. And ruling Jeffs appointed Warren as the principal of this Alta Academy. And that's when his rigidly authoritarian personality became visible to everyone. So there was this library at the academy and it had many books for people to read from what they would consider like the outside world. Um, And that was before Warren Jeffs became principal. And Rebecca said she used to go in there and read Nancy Drew books and, you know, la-ti-da. But then one day, a lot of the books turn up missing. And most of the books that were left had been purged and hacksawed and went through with box cutters and pages were literally sliced out with a blade. So it would not confuse their thoughts. By the command of Warren Jeffs, they had went through and literally cut out information from books and banned other books from the outside world. So, for example, some of the pages that had been sliced out were books with mention of reproduction, the solar system, science, mathematics. This could be for two reasons. Reason number one, he didn't want the women becoming educated. Reason number two, all that shit's a lie anyways, since most of the things that they tell us in books like that is completely made up like I don't know, space, NASA, things like that. So maybe he was giving them some type of a different education that you and I will never be privy to. But it is said that Warren went on to create a curriculum that was specifically for women of the FLDS. And um, he would teach this in the schools. And Alicia said that the curriculum was just how to have nothing in your brain and remain pure and a virgin and do nothing except the prophet's will and obey your husband. And um, that's pretty much all it was. I don't know if the boys were getting that, but she said that's what the girls were getting. So later on, Ruling Jeff suffers a massive stroke. He doesn't die, but he's like got those strokey symptoms afterwards where he doesn't know who he is or anyone else is. and um, He's kind of basically incapacitated. And that's when Warren started taking over. And 
that's when the teachings got really, really scary about hell and damnation and fire and brimstone, basically the world coming to an end. And Warren also preached about Joseph Smith's dream of blood running down the gutters of the Salt Lake streets. Now, see, that's demonic, you guys. That's demonic, what he's talking about, blood running down the streets. Anyways, and just like a psychopath, Warren knew how to tell the followers that they were all going to be destroyed very vividly and get them into this fear-based mindset. And he began teaching that there was going to be a great purging and a great cleansing of the earth. And he said he had all of these revelations that the world was coming to an end. And basically, the whole Mormon teaching is that earth is going to be like engulfed in flames and everyone is going to die a horrific fire death. And the only way that the FLDS church members would survive is that God is going to um, take a cookie cutter and cut out the section where all the FLDS people are and raise it up above the fire so they don't get scorched, but everyone else does. And so the only way that they would survive is um, the piece of land that they were on gets lifted up, like I said, so they don't perish with the wicked. And this is what Warren was saying. So that's what really got this whole thing started off. And to put a cherry on top, Warren said that if the Olympics came to Salt Lake City, It was going to be the end of the world. And in fact, the Olympics did go to Salt Lake City in February 2002. 20 years later, here we are. See, that's what I'm talking about. You got this is some dark shit right here. All this this damnation and destruction. And I mean, he's basically like a version of Jim Jones. (laughs) I mean, can you say drink the Kool-Aid people? And it's not grape flavor either. It's some fucking nasty, it's turd-flavored Kool-Aid. Now, Warren Jeffs gets the whole cult to move to this place called Short Creek on the Utah-Arizona border. And Short Creek dates back to the 1930s, and when Mormon fundamentalists no longer had a place in the mainstream LDS church, one of the groups started homesteading down there in that Short Creek place, and the rest is history. So, The reason it said that Warren Jeffs picked that place was because it was so far from civilization and remote and super hard to reach. So it was then, after the Olympics came to Salt Lake, that Warren Jeffs ordered all the people to gather to Short Creek. People literally sold their fucking houses, they quit their jobs, packed up their panties, and moved to Short Creek. Excuse me, they don't wear panties. They wear long johns. (laughs) My bad. They packed their long johns and hit the road jack. So, they were convinced the world was coming to an end, and 10,000 people moved to Short Creek. And... Warren Jeffs knew he needed to gather the people into one place so he could control them, his little pipsqueak ass. So, 
they were all scared to death and moving to a completely new area with basically nothing but faith. And they waited and waited and waited and waited. But it never came. (laughs) And Warren couldn't explain why it didn't happen. And he panicked and he knew people were going to wise up. So he said, it was just a test. Just kidding. Uh, God talked to me and he said he's actually granted us a little bit more time because he wanted to give a gift to us. And God wants us to become more righteous. And he said he'll give you a little bit more time to become more perfect and obedient. Um, But speaking of obedient, it was never enough for Warren. So, by the way, while this whole moving situation is going on, ruling Jeff's old ass is still fucking alive, even after he was stroked out and could barely even remember who he was, probably wearing a dipe. And they were basically just dragging his pre-corpse body around with them. And when they settled in Short Creek in September 2002, he eventually passed away. And everyone was so distraught. Because they believed Rulin Jeffs was to be the last prophet that would bring them into the millennium. And he was supposed to live forever and be regressed in age. And that did not happen. Surprise! (laughs) So, you would think that one little factoid right there would have had a bunch of people questioning... What the fuck was going on? But no, this is Stockholm's. This is a perfect example of what we're witnessing in the world today. You're so convinced of something that you're willing to look like an ass just to say you weren't wrong. Okay, now, Ruling Jeffs went to his grave with 65 wives varying in ages from, I don't know, it looked like to me they may be in their 60s or 70s as young as like 19 and 20. And um, it is said that a lot of people went to the funeral with the thought in their head that Ruling Jeff's embalmed dead corpse was going to lift up out of the casket and become renewed. But when they closed the casket, it became really real for a lot of them. And they got this sinking feeling that something sinister may be coming in the future. Because what happened was Warren Jeff gets this diabolically brilliant plan to say that he was his father renewed and that his father was living through him. Yeah. But the only problem was that he had to convince people because he couldn't just come right out and say that he was the next prophet. He still had to be accepted as the new prophet, even though he was claiming he was his father renewed. He had to have the people agree with this and accept him as the new prophet, but the only thing about that was they were so scared of him There was no way they weren't going to say that he wasn't the prophet. So again, another brilliant plan he had come to fruition. Because 
everyone started going along with it. And what else did he do? Well, he cooked up another brilliant plan, which was he called on Rule and Jeff's wives and said they needed to stand up in front of everyone and tell them that they had prophetic dreams that Rulin was living through him and that he was the new prophet. But Alicia, one of the wives I talked about earlier, said she only agreed to that and said that because of her terror of him. So Warren Jeffs took over the religion with thousands of people who he manipulated and what he did was he turned his power into sex, money, and abuse of children. So get this shit. Warren goes on to marry seven of his father's wives who were supposed to be his mothers. Not even supposed to be. He married his father's wives who he grew up with calling mother who he has brothers and sisters by. With the same dad just like see now this this is where it gets really gross but so he marries the first seven and he quickly starts showing up with even more and more of his father's wives and it would just be like one day he'd show up with 20 of them and he'd say look what the lord has blessed me with oh so sickening and um it was only ever the best-looking wives, though. His little pib-squeak ass. And I guess the ugly ones, you know, or the ones he thought were a little mouthy, they had to go to other guys. Um, and basically, fear drove the compliance and everyone just followed along. And under Warren Jeff's rule, fun became a sin word. There was no more plays songs, dancing, you couldn't have videos, no guns, you had to turn in all your guns. A lot of laws and rules were pretty much directed towards just the women. And before Warren, women dressed any way they wanted to dress as long as they were covered modestly. And then Warren started restricting the clothing and what you wore. And he would be like, get rid of all your denim, get rid of all your prints. And everybody had to look just alike. So he he got rid of their identity to the utmost degree. And then it was like no color red. One day Warren just gets up and says, be done wearing red. And you have to wear fucking long underwear. Like I said, fucking long johns from your wrists all the way down to your feet and be completely covered. And hair the hair, it's so weird. This is so, this is a mind control thing. This is trauma based mind control. He goes, All right, you have to do your hair exactly like this. And it, the hair in itself would just take hours. But it was, again, just something you had to do. It was out of the question not to have your hair immaculate and fit into the protocol of the FLDS hairstyles, which were these awful-looking pilgrim braids. And everyone, everyone, 
all the women had to learn how to braid their hair with like four and five strand braiding and fishtail braids and all this weird and like this little swoopity doop in the front and it's just god awful looking and Warren decided that this was going to lead them to their salvation so that's what he threatened them with and then thank god there was a man named Sam Brower who started looking into the FLDS as a private investigator and he was also a bounty hunter and he started looking into it because Warren Jeffs had started throwing out a bunch of young men from the FLDS community. Literally hundreds of boys aged 13 and above were expelled from the society at the demand of Warren Jeffs. Because when you're marrying all the young ladies to old ass men, there's a surplus of young boys that have to be gotten rid of. And... Short Creek was the most lawless town in America. The whole city was run by the FLDS. They had their own fire department. They had their own search and rescue. All the police were picked and approved and appointed by Warren Jeffs, and they would do exactly what they were told. Everything, literally everything, was owned by the church. So, I mean... That being said, Warren could just kick people out of their own homes and move new people in, and he literally could do anything he wanted to, period. And he did. So men who Warren was threatened by got their families taken away and their wives were given to other men, including their children, and there was even a man that ran a very successful business called Hydropack. And it was some kind of an engineering firm that made parts, including parts for the space shuttle. And I do find it funny that it was called Hydra Pack, as in Marvel, as in Hail Hydra, as in Nazis, as in Paperclip, as in NASA, as in this dude made parts for the space shuttle. But let's continue. This is nothing demonic. Um, what happens to this man is Warren Jeffs demanded that he turn his business over to the church. And he wasn't the first one. He went on to take over many businesses and absorbed them into the FLDS as well as those businesses profits all profits that were generated went straight to the FLDS so Warren had enormous resources through all the companies which the church controlled they had huge agricultural operations manufacturing construction they had these multi-level commercial buildings that they were putting up and get this shit, a lot of the customers for these FLDS businesses are names everyone knows, like Walmart and Amazon. Mm-hmm. And what gives the FLDS businesses the edge is the fact that they have unlimited free labor through all of the little boys and young men and older men in the community. They'll literally put a six-year-old out there digging ditches. So if you are a contractor, labor is half your cost. So that's the FLDS edge over legitimate businesses. 
And so the church businesses literally bring in millions of dollars a month. And while they had all this money and unlimited resources, the FLDS could also be considered the number one domestic human traffickers in the country. They were having boys being transported on work crews all over the United States. And it's the same with the girls too. The young girls were like a commodity owned by the church because we then see that Warren is beginning to marry underage girls as young as 14, probably younger, to their own first cousins or people much older than them, like even in their 60s. So all they had to do, all these men had to do was become a friend of Warren Jeffs and be like, hey, can you send me one of those 12-year-olds? And he'd be like, yeah, I'll be right over. And that's when a man by the name of Mike Watkiss began exposing the FLDS. And his main concern was about child abuse, statutory rape, and mind control. So we begin to see with brave men like Mike Watkiss and Sam Brower that people are beginning to look into the FLDS church and attempt to save these young girls. What Mike and Sam realized, though, is that Warren Jeffs had an ironclad grasp on these people and more so than just physically restraining them it was the social and religious and mental restraints that he had on them that was most powerful but the investigation started heating up although he had this massive control over the people what eventually ended up happening is an investigation was launched into these underage marriages and Warren Jeff started feeling the heat and he decided in 2003 he was going to relocate the clan once more to El Dorado, Texas, another very socially isolated, hard to reach area. And it was actually a pilot named DJ Doyle who first discovered the compound Warren Jeffs was building in El Dorado, Texas, because he was flying around and he flew over the area. And Warren had told Gentiles or the outside world, us outsiders, that it was going to be a corporate hunting retreat. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to begin to realize the structures they were building out there had nothing to do with a corporate hunting retreat. So what happened was the townspeople started keeping track of the progress on the compound and noticed that Warren Jeffs was working people around the clock 24-7. They had lights up and cranes and they were really on a mission to get that thing built. And not long after that, the newspaper editor received an anonymous phone call tipping them off about the ranch. So Arizona is still conducting basically like an investigation into the Short Creek camp. And there was a lot of reporters and people looking into it. So this is, again heating things up because he's trying to move the clan to Texas, but Arizona is still looking into him and wanting to file charges on things that happened in Arizona. 
So basically, Warren Jeff goes into hiding, and he would just pop up randomly to perform marriages and then quickly disappear again. And everyone knew what he was up to, and he had been trafficking young girls for sexual purposes and was also assigning them to his henchmen. And it was also suspected that he himself was taking underage brides. The biggest problem, besides the underage brides, of course, was that the outsiders were not allowed to infiltrate the FLDS community. So it was very hard to gather evidence. Finally, a few girls who were married at 14 ran away and agreed to work with law enforcement to expose what had been going on. And what was going on was what Warren referred to as a benevolent dictatorship. Yeah, real nice fucking pipsqueak thing to say. So he even went as far as to gather up a list of 20 names of influential men in the community and told the congregation that God had given him their names and they were no longer to be a part of their religion and kicked them out and reassigned their wives and children. And just like a good little pipsqueak would do, these men that had been kicked out were the ones who were leading figures who had been a key part of building the community, which again was a threat to Warren Because they could challenge his position of authority. And four of them were his own fucking brothers. So after Warren gets rid of these influential men in the community, he comes up with yet another brilliant plan of telling the followers that God had given him the promised land. And basically this promised land of sorts is called Zion. And only certain ones of them were going to be able to go to Zion, which just so happened to be all of the best looking women and all of the most subservient men. And it didn't matter what the kids looked like, every single one of the kids were going. No surprise there. So they were literally loading people up in vans, the chosen ones, and taking them to Zion, ripping some children away from their mothers and relocating them to El Dorado, Texas. So back on the new compound Zion in El Dorado, Texas, he was having the young men, of course, building log cabins, massive homes, and slowly developing his new compound. And in Zion, this is where Warren Jeffs enforced the wearing of only pastel colors for women, and they had to grow their own food or starve to death because they were not allowed to leave the compound. He then begins to build the temple. I've never gotten the heebie-jeebies like I got when I saw that temple. Everything in my spirit screamed when I saw this thing. It looks like death in a word. 
Um, and I, of course, will include some pictures on Instagram. You can go and check out what the Pib Squeak looks like. You can look at the temple. You can look at a lot of things. So, of course, go check out Instagram for some uh, visuals. But this temple is just a huge monument to one man's ego and most likely Satanism. And it became a national news story. And the only way to see the temple was by air. So the investigators begin looking for victims to come forward, like I said, back in Arizona, because they didn't have enough evidence to get a search warrant. So that's when they discover this girl by the name of Alisa. And she is the sister of a girl I mentioned earlier who was one of Rulin Jeff's wife, Rebecca. Rebecca ran away after Warren Jeffs started taking over and Elisa went and found her. And Elisa was forced to marry her first cousin at 14. And she went to go stay with her sister. She couldn't take it anymore. And she decided she would testify against Warren Jeffs. So they charged Warren Jeffs in Arizona with being complicit in rape because he was intentionally marrying underaged girls to full-grown men. And he was charged with two counts of rape as an accomplice. And because he was such a recluse and it was so hard to find him, he actually ended up on the FBI's 10 most wanted list as a fugitive. But he, of course, had the help of countless followers and unlimited resources, which aided him in being successful in hiding. So, he was on the run, and what was told to his followers was that he was being unjustly accused of a bunch of made-up lies, and they fell for it hook, line, and sinker, and they still prayed for the prophet that the gentiles eyes would be closed and he would be released from this madness but as luck would have it you can't rape on young ladies around here and uh, not pay the price well and like it just depends who you are how high in the ranks you are obviously warren jeffs was one of these lower class ones that got exposed but it later comes out that while warren jeffs was on the run he was living the high life. He went to Disney World. What an interesting choice, you guys. He had his favorite wives with him. He was wearing Gentile clothing. They went to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Strip clubs. And Las Vegas. He was said to have been watching pornos in hotel in the hotel rooms with his wives. He had a Harley Davidson motorcycle that he never even learned how to drive like a pipsqueak. He went to St. Louis. St. fucking Louis. This is a good place for his ass. And he was really out living it up, enjoying all the pleasures of the Gentile world that he's supposed to despise. And every week, in Short Creek, people would come and turn in their donations of tithings, etc. And they would collect it, envelopes full of cash. 
And the money was actually transported in boxes to Warren. And they would tell the followers that massive amounts of money was needed per week. And everyone had to come up with $1,000 by the end of the week. Every adult in every home, no matter what it takes. And although these people had very little resources for even their own food or gas to get around, they would max out credit cards just to try to meet the call. And this kept going on until Warren Jeff's brother, Seth, was caught in Colorado. Seth was acting as a courier transporting the money and mail and information for Warren, and he was arrested for aiding and abetting a federal fugitive. But, of course, you know, Seth gets a little slap on the wrist, so the FLDS had to change their tactics on how the money was transported. So, they decide that they're going to go to Costco and get bulk cans of tomato sauce, and they would drop $50,000 into one of those cans and just glue the lid back on so it looked like they had never even been opened. And while Warren was on the run, the FLDS church sent him an average of about $300,000 a week in fucking Chef Boyardee cans. Every week. Not once a month. Every week. And sometimes even more than that. And what did Warren Jeff say? He said it was going to build Zion. My God, you guys, you guys, get a grip. Oh my God. So here we go. All the meanwhile, Warren Jeff is trotting around the globe and all of the children are being taken from Short Creek and relocated to Zion without their parents. And this goes on for some time, but August 28th, 2006, Warren Jeffs is finally caught outside of Las Vegas. He was in an SUV and a trooper had pulled the SUV over because the license plate was obscured. And when he asked for the driver's ID, it came back as Warren's brother, Isaac. And... He's looking at the ID and he goes, Isaac Jeffs, Isaac Jeffs, like that Jeffs name ring a bell for the troopers. So he started questioning the passengers and who's in the car? Well, Naomi, Warren Jeffs' favorite wife, was in the front seat and Warren was in the back eating a fucking salad. He's eating a fucking chef salad. In the, uh, anyways, but it wasn't over yet. It was just the tip of the iceberg. He's arrested and he's taken to a facility called Purgatory Jail, which I feel like is so ironic, but not ironic at the same time, because that's exactly where he belonged. In a way, he predicted his own future. Oh, we're, the world's going to end. Hell, fire, brimstone, I'm seeing undead. And then he ends up in purgatory jail. <laughs> he got regular visitors, though, of course. And all of his followers prayed for his deliverance. And he continued to deliver his messages via the visitors who would basically come to the prison or jail, wherever he was at, and 
he would just say his messages over the phone and they'd just put it on speakerphone. And of course, he continued to be the prophet. And his defense team was saying that it was all just a bunch of religious persecution. But on September 25th, 2007, thanks to Elisa's testimony, Warren Jeffs was convicted of two counts of rape as an accomplice. But yet still, there were thousands of people that were hanging on to every word that he said. And even though Warren Jess was arrested, the investigation continued into the compound to see if there had been any other laws violated by Warren Jeffs or other members of the community. So the charges he was convicted of for his uh, fuckery in Arizona, but Texas also wanted a piece of the pie. So they were conducting their own research into the compound in El Dorado. And like a miracle, randomly, the police department gets an anonymous phone tip stating that there were underage pregnant girls at the compound. So that's when Child Protective Services got involved and they decided to conduct a welfare check. And when Child Protective Services got there to the ranch, they discovered journals of girls 14 years old and under talking about being pregnant and being a mother. And under Texas law, that is evidence of a crime in plain sight. And this was the beginning of the crisis situation because now they had enough evidence to act on. Law enforcement felt like the children out there on the property were in danger, and that's when it became a very large operation. And in 2008, the police raided the ranch and took all the fucking kids from the compound, and there were hundreds of children, 400 plus actually, who were taken away and put in a facility while the investigation continued. But here's what the fuck happened. The mothers of these children, brainwashed Stockholm mothers, were absolutely livid, and they went public about the story, saying there was no underage marriages going on, and pretty much these witches closed ranks and they stated they had never seen a girl under the age of 18 have a baby. But one of those women who came out and said that was a fucking midwife who had performed several countless deliveries with underage girls at the ranch. And they took it as far as going on to several daytime talk shows and getting none other than Oprah Winfrey involved in the situation. So she gets involved and all the kids get released from CPS and they're returned to their mothers. However, it wasn't over yet. So our star of the story, Rebecca, ended up helping law enforcement find more hidden files on Warren Jeffs because she remembered from being Rulin Jeffs' wife 
that there was a secret room where they kept a lot of the records pertaining to marriages, photographs, journals, things like that. And so it helped law enforcement in finding the evidence they needed to charge Warren Jeffs with additional crimes. So a search warrant was issued and they flew Rebecca and her sister Elisa, who testified the first time, back out to the ranch. And Rebecca told them that she knew if they looked hard enough, they would find a treasure trove of records. And the first place they should start to look was in the temple. And Rebecca's sister Elisa also had stated that what happened in the temple stayed in the temple pretty much. And it was only among the men. And it had always remained a secret. So she was even curious when she was given the opportunity to go in with some of the law enforcement agents what she would see or find in the temple. And so they arrive and law enforcement made entry into the temple complex. And I'm going to post some pictures of the inside of this place, people. It's everything I ever imagined an elite ritual pedophile ring to look like. All white, everything, baths. They claim it's for baptism. This does not look like it's for baptism. Let me just continue. So they find some winding stairs. And as you go up to the fourth floor, Everything from the carpet to the drapes to the walls is bright white, like glowing white. And as they're working their way towards the back, there is this room with an arched entryway with white curtains hanging over it. And as you go through the curtains into the room... There's another inner room, and they discovered a bed in there. It was a tall bed, and it was actually like an altar. Like where you would just go carry a person and put them on top of the bed, and it was waist high. And Elisa said, just seeing that room she realized something wasn't right with it. The way it was laid out, she just felt sick and she could just feel something in the room. So I'll post some pictures of that as well because it's unbelievable. But so the law enforcement agents proceed down to the basement and Towards the back of the basement area was a big vault, but they could not crack the bolt, so they just started jackhammering it for hours, and finally, they were able to make entry into the vault, and that's where they found all the records. There were computer hard drives, flash drives, I mean terabyte after terabyte of information. Literally all of Warren's secrets were there. Every kind of documentation you could think of. Pictures of his so-called wives. They look 10 years old to me. And now the world 
can finally see how sick and devious this guy was. Warren Jeffs is an actual monster. It was already so shocking just what they found with the pictures and the records. But then they find the recordings. Heavenly sessions, as he called them. It was with Warren and some of his wives in these recordings of these heavenly sessions. And in the recordings, Warren is saying very casually in his pipsqueak voice, Take off your robes and come join hands with me. Smile. And he described how they were supposed to touch each other. And then there was a recording of his 12-year-old wife, who Rebecca knew. And she was just this little angelic young girl. And Warren, in the recording, is praying with her before raping her. And the temple bed instructions were also found amongst the recordings. And they read the following. The bed will be a size big enough for me to lay on. It will be covered with a sheet. But it will have a plastic cover to protect the mattress from what will happen on it. Yeah, that was a direct quote. And... In the recordings, you can also hear him tell these little girls to think of the Lord as he raped them. Mm -hmm. So, in 2011, he was facing a new trial for child sexual assault charges. He had already been given 10 years in the state of Utah, but in Texas, they had the smoking gun that could put him away for life. They played these recordings in front of the jurors, and seven of them were women, so you can guess how they felt about that. And Warren Jeffs was found guilty on both counts of raping a 12- and 15-year-old girl, and I'm guessing what Netflix wouldn't tell us is that there was a lot of younger, even more younger and more than just two that he had done this with, but he never would admit it. So, he was also involved in conducting the marriages of 67 underage girls. And Warren had himself 78 wives, 24 of them being underage. And Texas threw the fucking book at him. God bless Texas. So they gave him a hundred plus years and 20 plus they, they just stacked on top of that. Basically just wanted to get as many as they could to stack on Warren's head. And to this day, he is still running the church from prison. And the members of the FLDS church still believe that Warren is the prophet and they are still listening to him. These people were cultivated from birth to believe what they believe 
And for the vast majority of the FLDS people, they have no idea what's going on. Warren has been releasing revelations, probably like a thousand or more pages of books of revelations. Warren, he says that he's received in prison and he's just filtered them out. And there are still thousands and thousands of FLDS members. And Elisa and Rebecca's mother is still a member of the FLDS even after her own daughters came out and testified against Warren in court. And Elisa said she suspects that will never change for her mother. So this is... Again, I wanted to do this episode to show you how mind control affects people. And um, this is not even an extreme case. I feel like this is going on all the time on several different fronts. And if I can prove to you with this information that there is cults of people, incestuous mind control abusing children in satanic ritual abuse, if you can see it for yourself, maybe it wouldn't be so hard for you to believe that these celebrities, they're still involved in their own form of this and there's evidence to support it. So now, this is an excuse that was formulated by a demon worshiper to have sex with multiple different women whenever he got bored. And basically what I think it is, is these pedophilic men would marry a young girl, 12, 13, 14, or even younger, have sex with them as much as they could, have as many babies with them as they could, and then crave a new young girl. And so basically this whole thing is made up to rape little girls, impregnate them, and have endless amounts of sexual encounters with young ladies who are virgins in the name of God. So if you're on the path of Jesus and you follow the Bible, he will always lead you to monogamy. So that's why this makes no sense. It's an inversion of truth and it's not an assault on anyone's religion, but I have found that they're very sneaky with how they invert the truth. And God will always lead you down a path of monogamy, respect, trust, and um, loyalty to your husband or wife. You don't need to have six or seven wives. You don't need to have child brides. You don't need to have harems of child brides. You just need to love your spouse, be a good fucking person, and if you feel the need to marry a 14-year-old, please institutionalize yourself. So I'm going to try to include some clips of like Warren talking and like so you can hear his voice, the mind control, the tone of his voice, the, 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 but let me know what you think of this episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Excited sexually? That would be exciting. 
to administer that conferring strength. And you have to be able to assist each other. And no one just stands around. Everyone assists. And you have to be prepared to be trained to do this. Against the time I would need your help. The Lord's help through you. So listen carefully. As the Lord intended that my ladies, all of my ladies, be trained. And he has been merciful to give us his own word through his own presence. Three ladies present. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Warren, at this time I accept of these, my daughters, who are a part of thee in the new and everlasting covenant. And I confirm unto thee that I have called upon them through thee, my servant, to administer to thee in the ordinance of heavenly comfort and to be a heavenly strength at the time of need when I, the Lord thy God, require of thee to go through an atonement. And I will be with thee and will empower these, my faithful daughters and others, whom I will accept to administer. How? What must you have in you to be with me? Through my heavenly gifts, comfort and strength. And sacrifice all your selfish desires. And come unto me, thy Savior, and be empowered with the heavenly gifts. And I'm in a session and I call for you. I often will have you touch my hand, or my head, or my foot. your spirit will be discerned. The Lord will show me if he allows you to stay in the room. If you're not ready, you'll be set up. Only those the Lord names can do it. Because I cannot allow people to be present to their unbelief, selfish feelings, or jealousies, or fears, where they would drive away and offend the heavenly power. The work the Lord has for me to do is just too important to allow emotional wives to be with me. Or doubting wives, or fearful wives. Only those who are prepared. You must be inspired. I'm often taken so low I can't even talk. You have to be inspired. Work together. Assist me. Again, these are just words. Very few of my ladies have been allowed to be with me to assist me in the fullness of the law of Most of the ladies know of this training, but very few have been allowed to assist me because it takes a heavenly gift present in you to be here. You have to pray harder than ever to abide the fullness of this law. And ladies, the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom involves husband and wives who are together with the fullness of the Spirit of God bringing forth spirit children you've properly been trained all your life to keep your body covered you must do more so than ever before toward others when I'm not present when a quorum of wives is called forth to administer it has to be so natural to you It'll be so natural that 
you're as comfortable undressed as dressed when you're around each other. 